0: Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again. Thank you for tuning into the What Girls Want podcast. I remain your host, Ola. Although there has been a global rise in advocacy aimed at promoting and protecting LGBTQIA people's rights, there's still a lot of work to be done, particularly on the African continent. More than half of African countries have outlawed homosexuality bisexuality, and being trans or gender diverse. Four of these countries have even imposed the death penalty. In order to promote human rights, we need more integrated and cross-sectoral interventions to end homophobia and transphobia. We also need pressure to be put on governments and we also have to acknowledge the different experiences and needs of LGBTQIA people. On this episode, we'll be discussing gender and sexualities. In particular, we'll be highlighting the unique needs of LGBTQIA people within the context of an ongoing global pandemic. Joining me in this amazing conversation are Elida Maita from Kenya and Mamelo Sejake from South Africa. So great to have you on the What Girls Want podcast. Please introduce yourselves.
1: I'm Mamelo Sujage from Cape Town. I am the communications lead for Athena Network and a fun time and a pleasure activist.
2: My name is Maita. I work with Athena Network as the Kenya focal point person and I'm so excited to be part of this conversation and a champion for the rights of adolescent girls and young women and the LGBTQ persons in the realization of their sexual, productive, health and rights and even beyond. Thank you both. I'd really like us to start with the basics, right?
0: We all hear about sexuality and some people might be asking, you know, what does that even mean? What does that connote? How do we define
2: sexuality? So I'll turn to you, Maita. To me, I see sexuality as the aspect that focuses on the issues that relate to human sexuality. And, um, uh, It develops and um, strengthens the ability of, for instance, the young persons. And those include even the children in making, you know, the healthy and conscious um, decision. Thank you all. I think to me, that's what I understand by the word sexuality. It's the power to, to understand yourself and to know that this is who I am. And this is how I would want to identify myself.
0: I really love the emphasis on identity. This is
1: who I am. Mamelo, do you have anything to add to that? I would say, in addition to that, I would say that sexuality speaks to who you are attracted to sexually and romantically and your relationship with with sex and relational, yeah who you're attracted to and sex. So sexuality can also refer to your relationship with sex or the absence of sexual sexual feelings or wanting to have sex.
0: Thank you very much, Marmelo. Now I'm wondering, how does sexuality as a concept, you know, you unpack the term as relating to identity, relating to sex, who you're attracted to, but then how does that either intersect with gender equality
1: or relate to gender equality? All right, before we go to that, can we define what gender is? Because I think it's often misunderstood or confused with sex. So my understanding, sex would be the physical, speak to how we are categorized physically and speak to like your like um your sexual organs and the physical. And sex is is female and male and intersex people. And then gender then speaks to how you express yourself and how you identify so one's gender is not always consistent with how they are socially categorized based on their sexual their sex so it is a way of expressing yourself and navigating the world and identifying that is gender and then a person shouldn't be treated differently or disenfranchised or suppressed based on their sexual identity or orientation or their gender, their gender identity or their gender expressions. And it's the acknowledgement that we are all people, irrespective of our different ways of being and expressing ourselves and how we are categorized and we should be treated equally and equitably based on the fact that we are human beings before anything else. Everything else is just a plus.
0: I
2: totally agree with that. We're human beings first. Elida? To me, gender equality, I'd like to share this from my own experience as a queer person. And when I think about gender equality all the time, I think to myself, how do we get into this beautiful land of equality? I like to call it that because it must be so beautiful. Um, you know, we'll be having equal opportunity, access to healthcare services without any form of um, discrimination. I look forward to that. So, when I think about gender equality, that's what I think about. It's the equal access to resources, to opportunities, regardless of gender identity, sexual orientation. And um, also, I think of gender equality. I see it from a point of maybe perhaps speaking about human rights in the context of gender equality. You know, human rights are universal. And even when we speak about human rights violations of LGBTQ persons, for instance, here in Kenya, we have sexual and gender-based violence, a silent pandemic that is here with us, but no one talks about that. And it's because it's connected with sexual orientation. These are the LGBTQ persons. It's not a concern, you know. So to me, gender equality is embracing the diversity that is here with us. And that includes persons living HIV, persons with disability, the most marginalized persons, and those are the LGBTQ persons, the displaced persons. It is taking this road to equality altogether.
0: Thank you so much. I could listen to you all day. I mean, I love how you really brought out the intersections. And at Athena, we always say that intersectional feminism is the way to go. A lot of these issues are really interrelated you can't talk about gender without sexuality you can't talk about gender equality without realizing that some people are more marginalized or in a a position to be more discriminated or more disadvantaged because of their hiv status their ability or disability and several other factors so it's really great that you highlighted that and really brought that to the fore thank you now there is um something that we've been really bothered about it within the feminist movement, and that is the role of culture in perpetuating several kinds of hate, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, and several shades of hate, like I like to call it. What do you think about the role of culture in actually perpetuating these forms of hate against people of diverse sexualities, Agenda, How do you see culture playing that role in perpetuating all of these forms of hate?
1: I think for me, it all goes back to and boils down to the colonial project and colonialization. Because if you look into, Af- and Africa isn't a country, but across the region and across the continent, there's a rich history of queer people existing. And that is people who are now understood as gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender. I don't think that within our respective cultures, having people of the same gen, not I don't think, I can point to many things that show that having people of the same gender or sex and moving through a different, gender expressions and, exp- and, and exploring gender fluidity or sexual sexual fluidity is not foreign to African people and African cultures in different ways. And I think that this homophobic thing came on a ship and it was imposed on us. And it's really colonialist and imperialist to say that certain people should be together and certain people shouldn't be together. And a lot of what We understand to be our culture now has been influenced and, um, shaped by colonialism. So I think that that is like the first problem, colonialism and how it is infiltrated into our cultures now and how we navigate spaces and societies and, and then religion also. So based on that, there are now these really rigid and, um, there's a lot of intolerance. Towards what is inherently part of us and natural, and part of our history, we have the way that culture is upheld and policed often leads to people the policing of sexuality and the policing of gender. Thank you very much for that.
0: That was so insightful. Something to think about. Uh, I also love how you referenced the role of religion, uh, because really, cultural practices are shaped by all sorts of things, including religious practices. Elida, do you want to add
2: on to that? Um, I have so many um, sentiments on the culture. I think it has really affected me and many other who identify as the LGBTQ persons. And especially here in Kenya, where, you know, same sex is criminalized. Culture, I see culture as the traditional beliefs, values and behaviors. And I think culture is not afraid to many. And that includes even women and girls, because it only takes away away from them. I was in a in a WhatsApp group the other day, and on the day of the African Child, and someone said, "Can we share what the day of the African Child means to us?" To me, it had the power to make me not be myself from a very young age, and it because growing up, you know, we grow up in different cultures when we come from different communities. Mine robbed from me the the power to identify myself from a young age. You know, it's
0: it's really interesting how. A lot of these beliefs and practices are ingrained in us without even, you know, being conscious of that, how it consciously becomes a part of us and we have to consciously unlearn it. And there's really some conversations around the pandemic and how it has intersected with LGBTQIA plus people and the issues that they face, right? What do you think are the specific needs, particularly when it comes to sexual and reproductive health for LGBTQIA plus people, adolescent girls and young women, and the key issues that affect their health and well-being during the COVID-19 pandemic. What do you think are those needs and those issues that particularly need to be highlighted within the context of the pandemic as we all recover and continue to build
2: our resilience? On the aspect of sexual productive health in rights in the midst of the pandemic, I would say that we still have those gaps that exist and we have others that keep on emerging. I like to think if we fought COVID-19 and now we are talking about, you know, climate change and everything, who knows what pandemic we wake up to tomorrow. I think direct and um, unrestricted funding may be to meet the needs of the LGBTQ person. It's really key, even in the midst of pandemics. Allocation of funding, allocation of um, resources to just focus on the sexual productive health needs of the LGBTQ person. That has long been forgotten. In Kenya, LGBTQ persons do not practice safe sex, and it's because there are no commodities that are tailored for this population. You'll find that if, for instance, if I could walk to a health facility to access these services, I am more likely to be policed or even be called out, and that, to me, is a barrier. Wow, you've really highlighted those gaps.
1: Mamelo, do you want to add on to that? One thing, amongst many other things, but something that I observed during the lockdowns that I don't think that there was nearly enough conversation about is how access to healthcare was limited for a lot of people. And for trans and gender diverse people, this meant that there was a lack of gender affirming healthcare. Already in South Africa, it is hard to access gender affirming healthcare. There isn't enough. Hormonal therapy is, is not easily accessible. Medical facilities or healthcare facilities, most of them aren't equipped to support and cater to the needs of trans and gender diverse people. And because there was a prioritization of COVID cases and COVID-related care, this meant that people couldn't go to the clinics or to the hospitals or wherever they go to to get hormonal therapy, which means that people weren't taking um, the therapy. They needed. This means that people experience more gender dysphoria. This means that there were higher rates of, of suicide and just of a mental health, mental health crisis. And then there's also the case of, at least here in South Africa, there's a constant shortage of hormones. And that was heightened during the pandemic. Then there's also the fact that we aren't taught as a queer person. I did not know that it was possible for me to contract. An STI, when I have sex with another woman, I thought it was just when I have sex, sex with men. There's that barrier to accessing information. And in other parts of, of the continent, it is absolutely inaccessible. I think we are a little, a small group of us in South Africa, are a lot more privileged than others that I know where to go to get dental dams for free. I know where to go to get internal condoms and finger cards. And because We are often erased and marginalized. There not only are our needs overlooked, but also the conversations about what we need and our vulnerabilities are also overshadowed and not taken into consideration. And also there's a lack of visibility. So like, I don't even know if my father knows about the issues that I face when it comes to healthcare because it's never been something. There's also that if it's not something you experience or something that, that affects you or within your realm of conversations, then you won't know. You've raised really
0: deep issues. And I really think it's interesting how you point to access to information on all of these issues, on sexuality, on gender diversity. And I've heard a lot of feminists Championing comprehensive sexuality education as that silver bullet solution to raising awareness about all of these issues. I'd like you both to speak a little bit about what we mean when we say comprehensive sexuality education, CSE. What do we really mean by that? And how can that be a solution to increasing awareness of all of these issues around Sexual orientation, gender
2: identity, and expression? Um, sexuality education to me, I would see it as a tool that is used to, to strengthen the ability of the young persons from an age, that is from, you know, from a very young age to make healthy and conscious decisions regarding um, their sexuality, physical health, um relationships, all, all that aspect of making healthy and conscious de- decisions. Like I mentioned, when we started growing up, I did not have the right information. And I remember growing up, I saw two women who lived together and I used to ask my mom, who are these people? Because I was young and and I could hear stories of these two women, one of them cannot have children. There is lack of the factual information. This can also result to coercion. You know, the harmful cultural practices like female genital mutilation. If we have Comprehensive sexuality education, we can prevent um, some of these cultural practices like female genital mutilations because you're empowered enough to know that this is wrong. Comprehensive sexuality education also enables young people to protect and advocate for the the health and say no to some of these uh, practices like I mentioned before. If you are empowered enough, you know that I am aware of the harmful cultural practices I know of when the cultural behaviors and and influences are not doing me good, but robbing from me. And I would also like to look at that body autonomy coming from sexuality education. And that to me is the freedom that every child must have because that is lacking from the African um, culture. The CSC often assumes that students are heterosexual using the gender binary you know, forgetting that we have others who cut across and beyond. Um, Sexuality education we have in schools, they do not talk about sexual orientation. They do not talk about gender identity. And when they do, they often give information that is not accurate and that can, you know, can deeply affect those who do not conform to their their societal norms.
0: That's really great. Uh, How you went to the nitty-gritty of having Holistic, inclusive sexuality education across our schools. Mamelo, do you want to add
1: to that? I add two things, and one that it would be a lifeline for a lot of us queer folk. Because, and when I say queer folk, I mean an umbrella term for people within the LGBTQIA+ community. And I, for one, think that I would have, I would have been comfortable in my sexuality a lot. At a, at a younger age, if I was taught that it's okay to feel the way that I feel and be the way that I am, and that I would have seen more people like me thriving and existing in the world. So that would have been great On a, in terms of navigating my identity. And I think that in as much as we advocate for comprehensive sexuality to be in schools and for young people... I think it's equally important that we have sexuality and education in and out of schools. So within the formal schooling system and outside, and I don't think that is productive for just to be targeted at young people because we don't live in isolation. Programs should also be targeted at or catered to our parents, to our caretakers, to healthcare workers, to policymakers, so that we aren't the ones taking in this information. We need, we need holistic and, and healthy and receptive environments where we can thrive. Um, and that's not something that we can do on our own. Everybody should be getting sexuality, comprehensive sexuality in one way or another.
0: Thank you for reminding us really that sexuality education is for everyone, not just for young people or people in school. It's really for all of us. Just to wrap up our conversation today, do you have any final words uh, for particularly for stakeholders and decision makers who are shaping COVID-19 response and recovery? Because we're still living through a pandemic, you know, it's here. Do you have any final words for stakeholders and decision makers to ensure that COVID-19 response efforts are inclusive and reflective of the diverse people that we
1: have? So I would say that there's absolutely nothing more public and visible than sex. At the core of everything and any and everyone, we are all sexed and we are all gendered. And we cannot begin to look at anything, to interrogate anything holistically or productively and think about what sustainability looks like without taking gender. Into consideration. And I would also say that we are here. We've always been here. We are as natural as breathing and as natural as heterosexuality is supposedly said. I'd even argue that net heterosexuality is not the most, but that's another topic for another day. But yeah, we're here, we're people, and see us, see us, see us, see us as people, protect us. Stand by us. Work with us. We are not a threat. Our differences are not a threat. Diversity is what makes things beautiful. So we've always been here. There are many of us in your families. See us as the people that we are.
2: LGBTQ rights are human rights. That must be accorded to everyone. Involving the LGBTQ persons in the conversations, and that includes even The pandemic response conversations, pandemics affect everyone. Why are we not engaging the LGBTQ persons in these conversations? We are here, like Mamelo said, we are queer, we are human beings and we deserve to be in these decision-making positions. Let's embrace the diversity. Let's work together. Really, we need to work together. Thank you both for joining us
0: on this lovely episode. It's been great speaking to you. And I really look forward to having you some other time. Thanks to the team and our lovely guests, Elida and Mamelo. Thank you for listening as well. Today, we talked about gender and sexuality, the intersections between sexuality and gender equality, and how we can actually use sexuality education to promote equality and celebrate diversity. This episode is hosted by me, Olaoluwa Bagun, co-produced by Mamelo Sejake and myself, edited and mixed by Andile Msomi, and brought to you by Athena Network. Please listen, subscribe, and share our podcast with your community. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher.